Let's face it, running a construction company can be chaotic. As business owners, we wear a lot of hats and we're constantly putting out fires. Luckily, there's a way to work simpler with Builder Trend. I'm a huge advocate for using technology to help run AFT, and Builder Trend is one of the most crucial tools I rely on to keep me on top of every detail. Built just for home builders and remodelers, this is an easy-to-use platform that helps manage all aspects of my business. My team's been using Builder Trend's project management platform for the last five years, and we love that they're always improving and adding new features to make our lives easier. This is something that we've really tried to take on internally to find ways to improve our system every day. Builder Trend just released a full set of financial services, added new tools like Takeoff to make estimates more accurate, and launched a total rebrand with a new mission to help change the future of construction, and we are on board. To learn more about how Build-A-Trend can help calm the chaos in your construction business, visit buildatrend.com backslash AFT. When you schedule a demo, you'll receive an exclusive 60-day money-back guarantee only available to my podcast listeners. I'm following Build-A-Trend into the future in construction. Come on board with us. We are super excited to announce that we have our fourth Contractor Coalition Summit happening in Austin, Texas this fall. Come out and visit with us on September 14th. Conference will end on Sunday, September 17th. We're going to have an amazing collection of builders all throughout the country. Some amazing vendors will be there in support. We're also going to have a session on construction instruction with Mark LaLiberté, which is going to be part of the summit. Just amazing content, networking, ways that all of us can enhance our brand, our product, and especially our organization looking down to the very core of who we are as builders and how we're operating to make sure that we're operating at the highest level, the camaraderie and the knowledge shared between all the builders, the teachers that come to instruct are super valuable. So make sure you sign up for the Contractor Coalition Summit. Again, whether you're a new company just starting out in your first couple of weeks of business or you're a seasoned company, there's going to be plenty of information, super valuable to attend. So we'll see you in Austin. For me as a business coach, what excites me the most is seeing people change the legacy of their last name. We're getting to a place where they're creating legacy, not just a business, but creating a business with real assets and real tangible things and places where people know they can work for 20 years if they want to. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. We have a good friend of mine, Dominic Rubino on. Welcome, Dominic. How are you? Good. Long time no see. Long time no see. You were a guest on my show. You did a great job there. So high expectations uh, on me, I guess, now. <laughs> well, I wouldn't bring you on otherwise. I Again, for those, we'll get into it, but for those listening, Dom has his own podcast. I was fortunate to be a guest on yours. Um, it's an incredible, in fact, you have you have a couple. You're, you're really busy. And I, I think just to present this, I mean, Dom, not only dad, husband, but author, podcaster, business coach, you know, specializing for uh, contractors such as myself, serial entrepreneur. I mean, the list goes on. We, we could spend quite a few, quite a few minutes here with the intro alone. Oh, let's do that. I'll just feel taller. <laughs> it's always good. Well, it just makes that expectation bigger for those listening. So, yeah, well, let me, let me start there. Serial entrepreneur. I think that's kind of unique. Um, you know, define what that, what, what that is for those listening. I'm unemployable, Brad. <laughs> I think that's what it means. I just, I, you know, for so long, I wanted to be a business owner and I sucked at it. Like I was really bad. I was working hard, not making any money. And my first real company was, um, I installed Christmas lights on houses. It that's not a fun job. <laughs> I mean, it was okay. I mean, you know, it was, it's always raining where I live. So it, I called it the Yo-Ho-Ho Light Co. Cause I like to have a sense of humor. Yeah. But yeah, you know, all the trades jobs I had, I just really sucked at them. Not, I mean, technically, I'm not the greatest trades guy, anyways. But like the business part was not good. 
So, but I looked around me and I saw other people had businesses and I always wanted one. That, that just kept drawing me. So when you say, you know, that it was a challenge, I mean, why was that? There's so many elements to be an entrepreneur, so many, so many elements to be a business owner. Was there a certain aspect of the trades, a certain aspect of running the company that was maybe challenging when you first started out? Oh, I mean, I like, for me, I really like the aspect of being able to create something from nothing. That, that really excites me. And I had other business owners in my family. Uh, one uncle that I worked for was a framer, framing contractor, and I worked for him for a couple summers. Uh, another uncle uh, is more retail. Well, I should change that. It looks like he's in retail, but he's actually in real estate. A lot of real estate. A lot of real estate. But you go walk in and he's just the guy behind the counter at this little store. You don't actually know what's going on in this life. But I, I just I always wanted to, to be in business for myself. I don't know if it was the freedom of it or the fact that I created my own path or I'm really bad at taking orders. Maybe that's it. That might be it. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because a lot of entrepreneurs that I'll entrepreneurs that I'll interview are very similar. Now, I always say people have listened podcast notes. You know, it's born out of necessity or it's like innate, like it's it's a natural part of you in your existence. And essentially, you're the latter there. Yeah, it's just in me, just in me to do it, and uh, and I love it. You know, but it took me a long time. I did it wrong for a long time, and then I I decided to start taking courses and you know the normal thing, reading books. By cassette tapes. Do you remember cassette tapes? Oh yeah, I do. No offense, I remember cassette tapes. So I'm... I do actually. Yeah, that's way before CDs. I remember actually, which you'll laugh, but I remember being a teenager and I went to this event and I remember standing in line and they gave us the option. They said, "Do you want?" And it was music. They said, "Do you want a cassette tape or a CD?" And I remember thinking, "Like, what's a CD?" <laughs> like, I don't need a <laughs> but, so I, I, I go at least a little ways back to understand that. But. Yeah. Yeah, what's a CD? I don't have that's an expensive player. <laughs> yeah, um, but I had cassettes, and I so I used to. I can't say I consumed that stuff because it was always so expensive. I was like, oh, I don't know if I can afford this Tony Robbins or Jim Rohn, and and then you know eventually, I consumed so much of that stuff. I ended up becoming business partners with one of those guys, one of those gurus, which is Brian Tracy. That's interesting. So going back to that, I mean. You know, maybe back to the earlier question when you mentioned that it was just challenging, especially being an entrepreneur. How has that changed now? What are what are some aspects that maybe enlightened you, especially as you're consulting other builders and contractors and, and just with all the businesses that you've run and started yourself now? You know, just elements you focus on that maybe are different if you were to go back in time and have your yo ho, you know. Yeah, yo ho ho. Yo ho ho, <laughs> you know, in song Christmas lights, you know, different methodologies. Yeah, I think what's changed is I run things a lot simpler and I focus on less. Um, less less but higher value activities. You know, I, I just have a really solid understanding now, I feel, of the process of business. And I really, I continue to work very hard on my priorities and being brutal, absolutely brutal with my priorities for, with myself and with my life and my time usage. And, and you'll see here, it's like, for me, it's taking notes. And the reason being is that um, a lot of di directions we can go. When you say priorities, is that personal? Is that business-related? Lifestyle? I mean, essentially, you could categorize that in many different boxes, if you will. Mm. Where does it start? You know, priority of importance, especially as you're looking about those priorities that all of us have to deal with as humans. Yeah. Where does it start? I mean, I've been I've been working on my priorities for a long time now, 
you know, time, so time management to me has been always the thing, even when I was in college, you know, I had that day timer with all my blocks and what class was next. Um, and it helped me run my life because otherwise I'm pretty scattered. So I need systems. I'm, I might have ADD. We don't know yet. <laughs> Do you feel like having a pizza? I feel like, you know, like, <laughs> just change. <the> squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, but yeah, you know, I've come to realize that time management is a lot like brushing your dog. It's just, you're never done. You're just never done. And, and understanding my priorities and revisiting my priorities every day, or as often as I can during the day, keeps me focused on the highest and best use of my time at all times. And, you know, I came, I came out of, when I came out of college, I went into sales for Sprint the big phone company. Oh yeah. And you're like, it's a, it was a, a bullpen, but it was run really tight. Your priorities were prospecting and selling anything outside of that is going to get you fired. Just prospect and sell and you'll live. So I was there for seven years and I did well, but you know, they, they really honed you and trained us hard on working on your priorities, always being efficient and, uh, following systems. Now it's interesting you bring up Sprint. Sprint Excel was huge. I mean, that was especially when I was leaving high school in the trades. That was massive. And I know a lot yeah. of people that work for Sprint Nextel, especially in the early two thousands, you know, late nineties. Yeah. I mean, this is an industry that's booming at the time. Um, when you say that they're really organized and formed as a company, things that you learned as an employee working for them, you know, just to when you speak about systems and prioritization. Yeah. Um, numbers, the importance of numbers, um, the importance of time management. I mean, I guess we're coming back to that again, right? It's so I, when I worked for Sprint, I was in the corporate office. So we were the blue suit, white shirt, red tie. It was almost a joke. We all had to dress the same and we called on companies and sold them long distance services, which is a joke in itself because now long distance is free with your, it's just free. But, you know, we used to have like state to state calls were 25 cents a minute. And if you're a really big deal, you'd get them for 23 cents a minute. And that's what I was selling. And, you know, that that entire thing is gone now. Right. There, I, there weren't even cell phones when I started or there might have been, but they were the big Motorola thing. Right. And then 1-800 numbers came out and that was big to sell. But our, our sales managers and our directors kept us focused on priorities, priorities, priorities. But the thing that I remember most about Sprint is they made us run our sales territory like a business. And that was ingrained in us. This is your business. This is your territory. What are you doing to drive it forward? So very much responsibility pushed back to us. It was my responsibility to do X or Y or Z. That's interesting. So as you think about that, just as a sales employee, right? Salesperson looking over your territory number wise, yeah. application to you as business owner, how does that make sense now when you think about how important the numbers are? Crazy, critical, insane. Like if I don't know my numbers, I'm, I'm stumbling around in the dark. And what's funny is I'm not a numbers guy at all. I'm a patterns in the numbers guy. But for me, the reward is having enough numbers stacked up, you know, the right numbers, that I could start to see the patterns because I'll take action based on that. But the numbers don't lie. You know, um, the, the numbers simply don't lie. They're unemotional. Um, you know, when you talk about numbers are cold, talking about numbers gets hot. I don't know why. But, but if you truly look at the numbers, you'll see the trends and it'll tell you you're doing well in this part or not. You know, if you take apart a job and Brad, you're a custom home builder, right? If you look at a piece of the business and you go, we're, we're losing money on the plumbing side. Why? 
it doesn't mean the plumbing's wrong or broken or the subs or the materials are wrong. It's just, it's a curiosity we've got to go fix. But if you ignore it, it's just going to continue to be a problem in the future. And that's, that would be shame on me or shame on you, right? It's the numbers will tell us what to go chase. So this is interesting. When you speak about the numbers and and where to go chase, it, it can be all over, right? I mean, there's business acquisition, right? To acquire new clients, right? Whatever that may be, you know, if you're selling widgets or you're building custom homes, uh, the, yeah. the cost of marketing, right? You have cost of overhead, right? You have cost to run projects. You have, you know, so many different elements. Is, is there a priority? I mean, it, it, it's probably hard to put you in a box like this, Don, to say, okay, you know, this is where you should really be focusing. But I'd imagine that there's some elements of the numbers of any entrepreneur that I should be really looking at. Is it, you know, for me mm-hmm. as a contractor, WIP, um, is it payroll? Is it you know, what's my bottom line? What is it that I have to net and sell so that, you know, break even? Yeah. There's so there's so many. Here's the problem is it's hard to answer that question. But the very first place I would start, let, let's just say for an example, I was going to buy your company, which I'm not going to do, Brad. So don't get too big a smile <laughs> on your face. You're like, yeah, it's done. <laughs> You're going to relieve me of a lot of stress. So it sounds good, Dom. Let's right. Not... Yeah. But let's just use that as an example, right? So I'm the new guy coming in. The first thing, one of the very first things I'd want to do is map out the business operations flowchart. And by the way, I know that makes me sound like the most exciting guest in the world, but that's what it is. How does business, not money, how does business flow in and out of our company? And it always follows the same format. It doesn't matter what business you're in. There's marketing at the very highest level. We're marketing. After marketing comes sales, some sort of sales function. And again, we could be talking about your dentist or your grocery store. There's marketing and there's sales, right? But we're going to talk about construction now. So we've got marketing, we've got sales. Then we have that handover from sales to production. Um, It could be engineering, could be drafting, could be something else that's going on in your business, right? Alongside of that, tacked onto that is going to be project manager somewhere. So you have to have project management attached in there. And what I'm going through right now are the headings that I would start to track on a dashboard, which you've probably already got, but we're assuming you don't have one, right? So there's marketing numbers I need to know. There's sales numbers I need to know. There's operations numbers I need to know. There's project management numbers I need to know. Then there's production numbers I need to know. And then after production, let's just add on QC to make sure that we're meeting our our standards in the field. And then I would have my accounting numbers after that. So we just built the the skeleton, the frame. We just framed up a dashboard. I don't need to know all the numbers in all those categories, but there's a few key numbers in each of those. That's going to tell me where the gaps are. And so when you're looking at this as a consultant or purchasing a company, mm-hmm. how how does that dictate the health or financial wherewithal or stability of the company? You know, because it's one thing for me being in the business every day to think, oh, I have a good grasp on things. I may know my numbers. But health-wise, you know, for you to look at that, you, I may be getting by because I'm getting by. You know, it's busy. It's been busy as a business mm-hmm. owner, especially since COVID. You know, market's good. I have a lot of work. Yeah. But just because I'm busy doesn't mean I'm making money. doesn't mean I'm on the right, right trajectory and the right per- – you know, what, what of these elements are you, you looking at from a consultant saying, hey, red flag? Alarms going off. We need to address yeah. something here. Yeah. So <clears throat> we would be looking at another type of report called the end of job report. So let's let's oversimplify you and let's just say that you're doing 
plumbing. Now it's just a plumbing job, right? Not the entire build. So if I was the plumber, I'd want to know at the end of the job how that plumbing job came out against the estimate. So estimated versus actual. And when I do that kind of autopsy, or uh, one of my clients in the past called it the leprechaun report, because he used it to find the pot of gold at the end of a job. The, the beauty of construction is that you've got job A, and then after that we do job B, and then we do job C, right? If I use a tool like the end of job report, which is a simple comparison. What did I estimate that we were gonna do on this job and where did we actually come out on the job? There's a few more elements, but I'll come back to them in a second. If I learn that from job A, I'm probably already on job B, no big deal. But by the time I get to job C, I can apply what I learned in job A and maybe increase my margins or decrease my costs by a couple of percent. We'll repeat that 12 times during the year. And by the end of a year, you could completely transform your business just by learning job A to C to E, etc. Right now, if you ignore those numbers, you're going to be in, in trouble. As long as a company is profitable job by job, you'll most likely be profitable at the end of the year. As long as you're not, you know, leasing a Tesla for you and your six children and eating pizza every weekend on the company credit card, all that stuff, right? There's, there's ways to lose money while you're still operating the business. But on a job by job basis, if we're solid there, we can fix all the other operations. It's really good perspective. I mean, essentially th there's two parts of this. I think it, to your point, Dom, as you're looking through this, you, you have the estimated actual, your indicate outcome. So essentially you should have an indicate outcome. You should have a good idea of I'm signing yeah. a job. I'm starting. I should have a database. I should have a good idea of the direction of the company how much we're going to make on this project and kind of how this is going to outlook based on the duration that I'm going to be yeah. performing my work. Um, and then at the end, you look at the actual and say, okay, did we line up? Did we miss something? Did, you know, how can we fix this? Did we underestimate something or overestimate? Um, what's interesting when you bring up, and again, there's a lot of qualifiers here, depending on the total gross revenue, not just per job, your overhead, you know, do you yeah. have too much staff? Do I, Part of the thing is, yeah, you're, you're mentioning that if you're profitable per job, ideally it should work out. In some cases, it may not because maybe each job isn't, you know, high enough value to cover the overhead, you know, that you have behind yeah. the scenes. It's not being built to the job. So it's really important as you're looking at both ends of that to understand, okay, am I making enough revenue to cover the general overhead that maybe isn't billable to that specific project? Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of factors that go into that. You know, you mentioned people. I have to know my overheads. I have to know my my billable hours. I have to know so many things. And when I'm if I'm going to come to buy your business, I'm going to have a period of due diligence where I'm going to be finding those things out. Because no offense, but I'm not just going to cut you a check and send you off to the Caribbean. We're going to have to do some due diligence, right? In that due diligence, I want to look at everything. I want to look at your leads, your conversion rate, how many customers you get, what's your average dollar sale, all the way things to operating costs and and uh, cost of goods sold in a custom business that fluctuates a little bit because it fluctuates with the job, but the numbers are just the numbers. <clears throat> and I, as long as I have a good grasp of those numbers, then I can figure out where the gaps are. But then there's the soft side of listening to people and watching what's going on. You know, there's a, a, a very simple number I like to look at and it's, it's bankers math. You've probably heard this before, Brad, but it's revenue per full-time employee. Have you ever heard that number? I ha I have. Yeah. I've heard that saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's this is it's not very technical. Your your banker finally takes you golfing, and you're just about <laughs> to go to the tee box, and he doesn't want to ask you what your revenues are. Or this is somebody trying to get your banking business, I should say. 
And but what he'll say is, Brad, how many employees you got? And you'll say ten. Now in contracting, we got subs and things like that, but just for simplicity, right. say ten. So he before you even get to the T box, he's going to say, so you got what? One and a half million in sales, maybe three. And then you'll go, yeah, yeah, no, we're closer to two. Because he's doing the math that you should be doing 150000 in revenue per full-time employee. And so now he can give you this bracketing. You're doing about one and a half, maybe three million. That's a huge number. But you come back and say two, you know, he knows you're healthy. If you say, geez, you know, we are struggling about 1.1 million. Your revenue per employee is too low. It's way too low. And by the way, that number applies to our industry. If somebody's in medical, pharmaceutical, software, totally different numbers. They're bonkers. But in, in our business, around 150 per full-time employee is a good place to start. Just to start. Just gets the table set. Now, what's interesting about that, when you, when you speak about revenue, th there's a lot of factors in there. Um, because my, my only pushback would be, and, and maybe Wakasus, Dominic, is that if if you're saying 150,000, is that based on, um, you know, because on total revenue, if you're a general contractor and you're subcontracting all your work and you're doing three million a year, it can be pr pretty tight because you may be paying X dollars to the framer, to the plumbing company, mm -hmm. to the cabinet company. Right. And so that bottom line isn't so much three million coming into AFT per se. It's going to be a lot smaller than that. And now I'm divvying that up between the employees. So how how are banks looking at that? you know, based on maybe the exact product or specification of your business? Well, that's just it. They look at every business a little bit differently. So GCs have different math, right? But when we're, if I'm looking at buying the company, I have to know that everybody's contributing to their, their overheads and their costs. So when you've got subs, there's slightly different calculations, but the calculations are different for somebody who's on site, like pre-site pre services or uh, um, uh, site prep services versus somebody who's there pretty quick, like the siding guy. Right. So you've got some some different factors there, but all of those have numbers that go along with them. And if we can track the numbers, then we can track the job. And that's how we know if we're going to be profitable as a business. Well, I think it's interesting and just goes to an earlier point you made is you, you know, we kind of went down this area of priorities. Right. And prioritizing your business and, you know, time management. And we talked about systems and especially numbers when you mentioned all your numbers. But early on, Dominic, you talked about targeting that something that you've really learned about your business is really spending the time. And maybe this is key one. When you talked about the flow chart of a business, you went through marketing, you went through sales, production, mm -hmm. project manager. But essentially that marketing element is probably really key because that targeting aspect <clears throat> is where you're focusing, who's my ideal client? Am I pursuing yeah. them? Am I capturing them? And that's really where I would as assume that your priorities are more in line if you're targeting the right person anyway. Yeah. And that's why that end of job. So, so many of these things come back together. It's, you know, we, it's nice to think it's a straight line. One leads to two leads to three, but it's actually more like an organic organogram, like a tree branches off in a bunch of directions and some touch and some don't, but you know, if, if we're not dealing with the right kind of customer and we have problems, those are going to show up. Those are going to show up because we're not able to deliver the quality that our customers demand or our customers aren't big enough for us to you know, engage our workforce or our job sizes are too small for us to get our workforce involved and we're moving around all the time, things come up. And so you have to really, really understand your ideal customer and your ideal customer. We just did this exercise earlier today. If everybody listening can do this right now, just think about your perfect customer in your business today, the perfect customer you've got. And that's going to be, if, if you do residential, a certain name, 
right? The Chan family or the Rubino family, doesn't matter. That's your perfect customer. Everything was great, they were wonderful. If you're a commercial contractor, think about a designer, a GC or an architect you work with. They're perfect, right? But now what I want everybody to do is challenge themselves and say, what if that was a C plus customer? What if the person or the, 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 the entity, the company I did a job for was just a C plus? What would that challenge me to do? What would be better than that? Because that movement upward is where you get your growth, your smart growth, is saying my best customer today needs to be my C plus customer in two years. What kind of internal drive does that give you to go and change your operations, change your marketing, change your targeting, change your delivery, change the deliverables, change your communication? Everything changes based on that because we're in business to serve customers and to solve their problems. It's fascinating you say that because as you're giving that analogy and that example, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, if I take my best customer and they're a C, I mean, that's such a <laughs> mid-level what, what does that mean? Because I'm already C thinking, plus. yeah, C Call plus. C okay, plus. that's fine. C plus. Yeah. You know, 79%. That's fine. Um, but essentially, as I'm thinking about that, okay, well, to take them to that A level, then another 20%, that A plus level, uh, there's a lot of things we could break down, right? And, but, but to get there, it's not so much putting my customer in a box. And you essentially just alluded to this, Dominic. It's one thing to find these characteristics and market to them. But you said internally, operationally, what am I doing? systems I'm putting in place. Yeah. What am I doing to showcase the value to actually deserve a client that's that much better than the last one I have, whether it be budget, prompt pay, um, communication, decision-making, whatever goes into the process that's, you know, can be a speed bump for me as a builder. Yeah. What, what am I doing to make me more attractive to that? Cause those clients are out there. They are out there. And you know, one of the ways that I like to think about this is um, that your ideal client buys a certain kind of vehicle right now. I, I don't know what kind of vehicle it is. Do you, what, what is your ideal client's perfect vehicle now? Don't use company, don't use customer names, but use, you can use card maker names. So you're asking me like my ideal client? Yeah, what, yeah what would just be as like an example. Yeah, your ideal customer, do they drive BMWs or dually pickups or... Tesla's? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say my ideal customer, uh, they're definitely more in the exotic cars. I mean, it's just, yeah. And, and some Teslas, of course, you know, some sure. electric vehicles, but a lot of them have a car collection, we'll say. Yeah, okay. So what's their experience when they go buy that car? And, and actually, let me change that. Their dream car. What's the buying experience when they buy their next level of dream? Because everybody's got the next level. They've got guys, they're like, well, I can't wait until I get a Maybach or I can't wait until I get a classic Stingray. Yeah, I don't know what their thing is, but what's that buying experience? So just, you don't have to answer that, but think about that. How does my business, your business, match up to the buying experience that they expect when they're buying something that's really important to them? And, and, and I think that, go ahead, Don. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, that's, 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 the, that's the exercise that you started on is, how do I align my communications? Prompt pay, fast pay. What about full payment in advance? What about draw on uh, on milestones? All of those, they're used to buying in a certain way and it's no different for you and I as if you do build an entire home, build an entire community. How does that customer want to interact? They're used to buying in a certain way. It, it's really interesting perspective because at the core, 
And it's one thing that I'm sure anyone listening could push back and say, okay, well, in fairness, like for me, a lot of my clients will be a two-year build. It's probably a year in design, then two years of build. So it could be a three-year relationship, whereas a transaction buying a vehicle. But here, here's at the core to what you're saying, Dominic, where I completely agree. And I'd push back to maybe that counter argument is that there's a there's an experience these clients have going through that purchase process. There's an mm-hmm. experience they have um, in the the process itself. The communication, the duration, doesn't really matter because a lot of our clients are entrepreneurs. They built businesses. They're successful. They understand the project management side, running the company. Yeah. They, the complications come with it. But that customer experience and how our systems, our communication, our organization, our scene around corners, our um, laying things out for them. Essentially, these are elements to us being contractor of choice. It's given them that same client experience that they would have buying this exotic car, as you mentioned, Dominic. That's right. Or, or doing transactions with another business owner. I mean, if, if, if you're dealing with entrepreneurs and high net worth individuals, they're probably going to expect a data vault because they work wacky hours and they want a question answered and don't need to call you. They're just want to know this is our shared drive. This is where I find the information. And you have some sort of shared, some sort of shared schedule board. I could have picked a more difficult sentence to put together. <laughs> Say it 10 times fast. Yeah, I, I could barely do it the first time. Uh, but then, you know, the other thing is communication. When you're dealing with somebody who's already a high performer, the worst way to deal with them is randomly. The best way to deal with them would be, and I, we're probably agreeing on this, is proactively. And so you say to them, uh, George, we're going to meet every Tuesday at two o'clock for half an hour. And George is going to say, well, I can't do Tuesdays. How about Wednesday? You're like, okay, Wednesday for half an hour. And then it's just preset. There's no surprises. You can meet and say, there's nothing to talk about. We're just doing site prep. We found a big boulder. We moved it, blah, 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 right? Or you could be at something more intricate and, and need a bit longer, but you have preset meeting times. That's part of the buying experience or the, the lifestyle experience that that level of buyer would expect. This episode is brought to you by Pella Windows. When it comes to building homes at AFT, almost every project has Pella Windows. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relations with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers. Because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their they're company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. It's it's interesting that you talk about just how, how important it is if that's what they expect. Because to your point, when you're mentioning entrepreneurs, yeah, they, and, and the reason I bring it up, because I've had this exact experience now. I have a client, serial entrepreneur, very successful, and he doesn't want to have to sit there and just say, okay, Brad, where are we at on this? Do we have this updated? 
he wants to know in the portal, my owner portal that I have to build a trend, are these contracts uploaded? You know, is this taken care of? Is this finished? And so I don't have to sit there and inundate him with communication that he doesn't need or information. It's there as long as we're organized, the systems are in place and we're tracking that and he can see that. That's it. And it's not that he wants to micromanage us. It's just there's an element there that gives him his insurance assurance with him investment. And he knows that, hey, we're on it. That's essentially most of our clients just want to understand they're hiring someone that can take this stress off them, build right. their project, and that they're not having to really get involved because they don't want to. Most of my clients don't want to unless they feel they have to. Yeah. You know, my, my son is now 14, so he must have been 13 when he asked me the question. <clears throat> He's like, Dad, what is a business? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, and, but a business is a thing that solves problems for other people is finally the answer I came up with, right? A business solves problems for other people. And then we get paid for that. And so the, the problem that you would solve for a busy entrepreneur or a busy surgeon or the senior partner at a, an accounting firm is like, they've got a day full of problems already building their home as an example, or rent, you know, I know you've got all sorts of listeners here, renovators, it doesn't matter what the trade is. This shouldn't be one of their problems. And the more that I can make my trade the least of their problems, the more my name gets passed around when they're all drinking with their pinky finger up, <laughs> right? Right? You absolutely must deal with Brad over AFT. He is the best. I just, I'm channeling the spirit of Thurston Howell's wife from Gilligan's Island. But, um, but that's who you want talking about you. And it doesn't matter what level of contracting business you want. We always want to be moving upstream, right? Don't be a problem. Be the easiest thing in their life. And that might mean we have to change our contracts and agreements. We have to change our sales process. Have visuals that outline this is how we build a custom home in Aspen. This is how we renovate a custom condo in New York City. Because they don't know. They might think they have an idea. But if I've got a visual that draws it out, I could literally point my pen and go, we are here right now. The next step is here. It's simple. Because they, you know... People don't want to be surprised when their friends say, hey, how's your condo renovation in, in Brooklyn going? Uh, I don't know. I never talked to the guy. It should be okay. Nobody wants to say that. You, you feel silly. But they're going to say, you know what? The, the flooring's going in next week. Pretty excited. Good to see it all in place. Because he saw a picture that said the flooring's going in next week. It's, it's so funny that you're bringing up the visual aspect. The reason being is, uh, truth be told, Dom, Dominic, we're in the process of... Uh, rebuilding our website and with, with the team as we're rebuilding this and it's going to be, and I'm super excited for the release, but one of the big things is, and this goes back to the expectations you're, you're speaking about the touch points with the client, the visual visualization. What I found in my career is a lot of the, I, I think most of us can relate a lot of times that relationships go South are failure to set realistic expectations, you know, live up to them, make sure mm. that both are on the same page. I think that's real life for you know, you're a husband, I'm a husband. That's reality for our marriage and I'm life. I'm it every day. Yeah. Please a, tell me, tell me what to do. <laughs> well, I don't have any answers for that. But what I can say is a lot of times um, we as humans expect others to be mind readers. And I just know this is inherent. I expect you, Dominic, yeah. to read my mind, my clients to read my mind. I do this every day. And so when there's these bumps in the road, it becomes a big problem. And so what's interesting is we're creating this essentially roadmap, right? That you know, what does it take to build a custom home? And it's one thing to give customers advice on questions to ask or things to do. 
But there's also a flip side of that from my perspective as a, as a builder. Here's what's mm-hmm. going to make my life easier. Here's our expectations I have of you as my client. And mapping this out, essentially, is a 10-page document. But to your point, it's very visual. It's, it's very communicative. So they understand the players involved. So whether you've had someone build a house four times or it's their first time, yeah. they should be able to pick that up and really understand visually what it takes to build a custom home, the emotional roller coaster, and then more importantly, what are the expectations? What's their responsibility? What's mine and the other players involved? Yeah. Well, just thinking back to what's an A client versus a C plus, <clears throat> lay it out as if it's an A client. Payment in full in advance with a draw account. I want it all in escrow or something like that. And as soon as we prove this, I get paid. Because payment, how many times has that been the thing holding you back? Like we're waiting to get payment from the customer. Now it's cutting into my cash flow. We got to move things along. So I'm going to do it. But it doesn't feel good and it's not right. If I had that on a visual, on the day that we come to agreement, and now let's say that I'm selling this custom home package to you, Brad. I'm going to say, look, can I tell you how a custom home is built here? We do this step and then we do this step. And at this point here, you're gonna to need to fund the project, right? And so I'll write in the number, what, what you're gonna to need to do. So you write in the number, right? Then we're gonna do this, then we're gonna do that. You're gonna to need to fund the project. Then we're gonna do this, and then you're gonna to need to fund the project. Then we're gonna do this, then we're, they, and so I can tell them right up front, they can follow along with the picture and hopefully we refer back to it. And there's no surprises, or should be less surprises. But essentially the value add there Again, your set expectation for payment is, is a great example. Feed the meter. This is how we expedite the project, get the service Feed we the need, meter. get people to show yeah. up. Yeah. You know, the reason that's valuable is because no one wants to, um, you, you speak to one in the medical field, the worst job, you know, <laughs> the, the person in the front office who's running the office and having to call the insurance companies and the patients and mm-hmm. get payment and track them down. And it, it, it's exhausting. It costs time and money. But if you have a very clear on the payment structure and it all, and everyone agrees to it. Well now, and, and I'll, I'll give a funny example. So in my builder 20, so I'm part of a builder 20, this is one of my favorite examples. So, uh, we have this really savvy builder and he's in his sixties and he's been building for 40 years. And he told me, he said, look, Brad, um, in my contract, I have a clause and I, I tell every client it's been this way for 30 years that if they don't pay me within, you know, five days, interest is 24%. And I, and I actually started laughing. I'm like, are you like a credit card company? And it was interesting because he said, Brad, I'd rather ask the client if they don't plan on paying me, I'd rather know now before I start working with you. And I, I thought that was a fascinating approach. And he tells clients that, but the, the reality is he's has a track record. He has experience. He's built a brand, yeah. but yeah. he's very clear on, Hey, this is my process. I'm going to bill you for work complete. I need to be compensated for that. And here's the timeline. And, you know, they agree to it. They understand what they're up against, but essentially that's what you're, you're walking us through. Yeah. And it's, it's so much easier when we have the conversation up front and the easiest time to have that conversation is the honeymoon phase when they've decided on they're going to work with me. And let me just add, by the way, I don't have all the answers. I I don't, I mean, I'm worried here because I answered some things. It feels a little too quickly. I, I, I am curious and I have a lot of questions. So we're doing some hypotheticals here. But what I would do definitely is have a solid sales and marketing pro. I'd have a solid marketing and sales process. You know, one of the the problems that people come up with is they'll say that we have a collections problem or feed the meter problem, right? No, you don't. You have a marketing and sales problem because that's the stage before you have a feed the meter problem. So you're either attracting the wrong clients or you're attracting the right clients with the wrong expectations. Just going back to what you said. 
So I, I try to approach these things with more questions than answers. I've just seen situations before so I can give you those examples, but everybody's company is different. And it might not work the same if you're doing smaller kitchen and bath renos than if you're doing large custom. But I'll tell you what, the basic structure is exactly the same. Yeah, I think I'm going to push back in this way, Dominic, in a good oh, way. Is okay. it, no, 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 no. What I mean to push back is that you were kind of teeing this up as if you were speaking too fast and you're spot on. And the reason I say oh, that okay. is, you, yeah, so this is a good thing. So don't think I've <laughs> played devil's advocate here. Yeah, yeah. You, you said something that I really want to make a really important point on this podcast is that is this has took me too long to understand is that too many of us as builders get to that final draw and we have no process of understanding what's punch what's warranty how do we close it out how do we get final payment how do we compensate on that last draw we don't know and so we're there and we're not getting paid or it gets legal or there's mm. you know litigation i mean it, it's all over and i'm sure any builder can rather, yeah but you made the most important point thus far is that you circle back and he said it's not you know a completion problem this is day one marketing sales problem yeah and and the reason yeah. i say then for those watching video i mean you're pointing up and the reason being is that what i learned is we've spent a lot of time this last year as a company to say what is our closeout process how do we close at home how do we define a punch item and a warranty item how does the mm -hmm. client do the walkthrough how is that final payment satisfied how you know how do we determine that and now my sales process, it's all done up front in the honeymoon phase, perfect. if you will. It's very yeah. laid out. It's clear. It's in my contract. We walk through it. And the customer understands. So they know that they have protection. I have protection. It protects both parties. And there's a process now to finish out a house and turn it over. So when the client moves in, it's done. And again, it all came to day one. If only what understood that instead of fighting at the end every single time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pain. That, that's what experience teaches you. But you also have to go back and, and have the humility to say, let's go fix something. It's, it's, you don't, you probably don't have a collections problem. You've got a marketing problem. <laughs> that was hard. Listen, I had that problem. I, I know I took a job once painting a house for a painting an apartment building for a guy. And I knew every single step of the way I should not do business with this guy. There was no surprises at all coming from him. If anything, he was the most consistent business person in the transaction. And I was the idiot who said, yeah, I'll pay that for you. And of course, when did I get, I don't even know if I ever did get paid. I mean, it was horrendous, but I did it to myself. I did it, I did it to myself and I knew every step of the way. And so what did I have? I had a marketing problem because I got lazy and I didn't go market. I took the job that was in front of me. I'm still mad. <laughs> well, it's funny. There's that old now, y'all won't spend a ton of time. You know, you pick up the snake and you carry it across and then it bites you at the end and said, well, you knew what I was when it picked you up. And, yeah. and essentially it, it's interesting you say that because we spent, again, you don't have to do these. I mean, you can do these background checks, but you, you kind of know who you're dealing with to some extent, you know, we've done research for sure on clients to see, Hey, is this a litigious client? Are they involved in a lot? You know, are they defendants? Are they plaintiffs? Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it definitely plays a role, you know, and depending because the, the reality is it should be a two sided street. I mean, we do have to be careful. I think most of us are in our, early in our careers, you mentioned painting, you're going to take whatever job you can get. And, but essentially you're trying to elevate your business to the systems, the prior, the prioritization. Yeah. And as you mentioned, just targeted approach, you know? Yeah. It's a lot of this comes down to running your business on purpose. Like just being really proactive about things, which takes us back to the numbers that we were talking about before. 
Somebody listening might not know what numbers to track, but if you just go through those basic elements that we've talked about, marketing, sales, operations, uh, production, project management, figure out and, and just you know rewind this episode and just tell me two or three numbers in each category that you think you should track. You're already doing most, you're already doing more, I would say, than most business owners ever will. I love that. Now, running just your, stick to it. Track them. Running your business on purpose. I think that's a pretty wise advice right there. Yeah. So Dominic, let me ask you this. You know, especially your con- experience running a lot of businesses, serial entrepreneur, consulting a lot of business owners. Um, are there common mistakes? Are there common um, shortcomings they have that cause businesses to fail? Uh, yes. I would say the consistencies I see is a lack of a plan. So business owners with no lack of energy or no lack of drive, but moving through improving their business in fits and starts. Instead of having a solid strategic plan that becomes a source document, that you look back on, you shoulder check all the time and say, are we doing what we initially set out to do? And um, you said you're in a, a builder's group. What's it called? Builder 20. Builder 20, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not familiar with them, but I sure. wonder if... Yeah, I'll explain it just so you can understand. Yeah. So essentially, it uh, started in the early 1990s, 1994, through Nash, NHB, National Association okay. of Home Builders. And really what it is, uh, you have 20 builders in non-competing markets. Um, the reason they're not competing, there's a few reasons, not just because you're sharing financials, but you have to make sure that you're not cornering the market, right? I don't want to partner with, you know, mm-hmm. 20, 30 builders in Phoenix. There could be some antitrust, you know, based on clients yeah. and suppliers. stuff. But, but essentially I have 20 builders all around the country. We're in markets. We don't compete. We don't align. And so we share financials. We share profitability. As you mentioned, we share per job, how we did on this job, how we're doing as a company, Incredible. what we're paying employees. Yeah. You know, litigation issues we've had, as I mentioned, closeout systems, what software reason. So essentially, I mean, twice a year in your auditing, I have essentially 19 people that make me accountable, have me set goals and are bettering my business. We do it for each other. And then if I need something, you know, off, pick up the phone. yeah, pick up the yeah. phone, send an email. Hey guys, how are you doing with this? Bam, 19 emails back. Here's how, yeah. how, how we've dealt with this in the past. Yeah. Pretty incredible. Is is anybody in your group using a business planning system like Traction or Rockefeller Habits? Uh, EOS, you might call yeah. it EOS. EOS is the term I've heard, and I think four yeah. or five of our builders are doing EOS, which is more of a common, you know, in fact, some of my peers here and like subcontractors are really involved. In, I just went golfing with one of my trade partners who's really involved with EOS and their EOS rep was there with me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I live inside that EOS system. Interestingly, so I, uh, the two notable businesses that I built and sold, the first one I built on the uh, Rockefeller Habits system, which was written by Vern Harnish. Uh, in, in, Vern Harnish also started EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, which I'm a past member of, and I still love it. I'll be back very soon. Um, but then uh, Gino Wickman wrote Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business, which is called EOS, the Entrepreneur Operating System. That's the mistake. This goes back to the answer to your question. If there's a gap I see in the market is people running a business without a, without a plan. And I, I have to add a little bit to that. I'm not talking about a business plan 
that you have some university student write <laughs> and they put it in a leather binder and you put it above your desk and never look at it. I'm talking about a living, breathing strategic plan that you shoulder check every two weeks. You're looking back at that thing and saying, are we on track? That's the world I live in. And so with the business plan, especially, um, and not the business plan, but when you mentioned, are you on track? Um, are there components to that, that plan? When you say running your business on purpose, I, I know we broke down the flow chart based on health of the company, but from a systems organization aspect, what does that look like? Does that have to do with personnel definition of roles, right? Systems, project management software, you know, yeah. just some, ex some examples there. Yeah. So it's, it's funny you say that. So think about a wheel. And, and the wheel is split up like a pizza. Maybe I should say, think about a pizza because I could start there. Think, think about a pizza and it's split into those triangular shapes. <clears throat> Each of those triangular shapes would be your score. Let's say zero would be the middle of the pizza and 10 would be that outer edge crust. So in the areas of people, process, strategy, cash, execution, issues, uh, information, all of those would be pieces of that pizza. How would you rate your business? Let's say on data and information. You know, are you a five out of 10? Are you halfway up towards the crust? Or are you really low on that? Understanding where your business is and all those components gives you a really good sense of where you need to get to next. I love that. And then, you know, as I, as I take this a little bit further, you know, we talked about why businesses fail, which you mentioned. Let's talk about the flip side, especially you being business owner, entrepreneur, having worked with so many companies. What what excites you most about about business? Making something out of nothing. That's what excites me the most. For me as a business coach, what excites me the most is seeing people change the legacy of their last name. That I love. Like I, I I'm yeah, this is gonna go in a weird direction, Brad. Okay. When I was a little kid and I said my prayers at night, I always prayed for wisdom. I don't know why. I don't even think I knew what it meant when I was a kid, but I always wanted to be wise, not smart, not anything. I just wanted to be a wise person and have that ability to step back and have the greater perspective. And so when I show somebody else through coaching how to have that perspective on their business, like how to put a system like EOS in place and use that to get like run the business predictably to me that's wisdom that's what excites me so it doesn't matter what trade they're in that it's not that i don't care but it, that's irrelevant what's more relevant to me is the person behind the business and what they want to create and more often than not we're getting them to a place where they're creating legacy not just a business but creating a business with real assets and real tangible things and places where people know they can work for 20 years if they want to right that's that really gets me I can only imagine from your perspective, um, when you speak about legacy, it, you know, that's your legacy too. I mean, you, Dominic, your yeah. legacy is having influence on all these different companies to become successful. It's like having senior kids kind of grow up and be really successful and, yeah. and go up on their own. Yeah. I, I can only imagine the joy and satisfaction, you know, that's given you on a daily basis. Guilty as charged. It's, uh, <laughs> my, my goal is that when I die, the church is packed and overflowing. I'll never be there to see it but I'll be, I'll be choked if it's not because it means I've wasted everything I've done. But if, if people, have you ever heard the saying, I want to be the kind of person people cross the street to see instead of cross the street to get away from? 
Yeah, I that's I want to be the guy that people cross the street to say hi to, not that they try to get away from. And so now take it a step further because you mentioned priority going back to, to, to your time. And the reality is as a business coach, as a, a business owner yourself, all these different, you know, time constraints that we all have, right? That's the biggest constraint <laughs> we all have is time. Yet you still find time for your podcast, you know, for um, all the different services that you offer. Why, why, why do that? Why did you start the podcast, you know, impact your business, you know, all the benefits from it? Yeah, that so it's such that it's going to be a little more insightful than you thought in that question. But uh, you know, I've been a business coach since the year two thousand, so twenty three years now. And part of being a business coach, at least from my perspective, is being a good public speaker, being a good presenter. But I've spent most of my career traveling, and I don't want to travel anymore. As a matter of fact, I sold one of my companies because I was away from my family too much, and that the end of the day, that's why I sold the company. And so when I went to reinvent myself after selling the business, one of my skills is public speaking, but I didn't want to travel. So what's a guy going to do, right? So I ended up doing a, a talk for an architectural millwork, you know, very high-end finished wood trades um, group. And they asked if they could record it. And I said, yeah, sure, I guess. And they said, can we make it a podcast? I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess. Yeah, sure, I guess. And then I thought, why don't I do that? And so that's where my first podcast started. And then that spit off the second podcast. So now I have two, you know, and I do about six episodes a month. Uh, but it's all, I'm very time structured. You know, you and I know that, like it's, it's coming up to the top of the hour here. We're going to be done pretty soon because you and I are both those kind of guys. We've got a meeting, we're going to hit it, we're going to be gone. And um, hopefully lots of value, no impoliteness, but time is time and we got to move on. So I, that's how I get through all those episodes. It's amazing. When, uh, I'm always interested when I speak with other podcasters, you know, the, the reality is, um, and, and, and maybe this is just me. I don't know how it is for you, Dominic, but it, it's not like podcasting is this highly lucrative thing that, you know, no, it's you're horrible. living on, you're, no, you know, no, you're no, island. No, yeah. no, no, no. And, and so more, more of the podcasting is more of a service, if you will. It's more of a legacy thing as you're playing than it is a profitable endeavor. Um, yeah. it, but I would imagine it to some point you know, outside the financial aspect, you know, some of the, the benefits that you've received, you know, just yourself, you know, from the podcast. I, you know what, the, I get the best clients in the world because the people that listen that really want to do something would contact me. I don't even have to ask them to, they just find a way, you know, LinkedIn or whatever. Um, but, but I get, I also get to add value to the industry, which I like to do. That gives me personal pride and satisfaction. Um, and I'm building a team based on on the podcast and all of the content we create here. So I, I enjoy that. It is not lucrative at all. It's the opposite <laughs> of lucrative. It's so funny. I can relate, but, but there's so many perks and it's, um, yeah, you know, but I think just in the, you know, as I interview guests such as yourself, like even today, like as, as I mentioned, I'm always taking notes during the podcast and then I, you know, save those and, you know, just selfishly from this Dominic, you know, there's points you made. I'm like, well, that's great not doing that, not thinking about this. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> need, need, need to work on this aspect. And even things that to your point, you know, something that specifically I wrote down here is you said, take your best client and put them as a C plus. I've never even thought about doing that. Now I'm like, okay, now this really puts some onus and some ownership and some effort on my side and my team side to figure out how can we have a business that we're all of our clients are the A plus. And the reason being is that we're living up to that. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we've marketed to people who are A plus. 
For you, it might be an offshore person who just wants to cut you a big check and say, this is the picture, build it. Tell me when it's done. <laughs> okay, on it, right? This is perfect. You want to be, you want that view of the golf course. You want us to buy the lot. You want us to everything. But everybody's A plus or A client's going to look different, which is fine. It's supposed to. Are there any, and, and maybe this is a personal question for you as a business owner, when you have worked with businesses and interview people on your podcast and you see businesses that are real successful, are there character traits of that person, how they interact with other humans, with people, maybe their employees, with their clients? What is there a separator or personality? Because I would imagine um, the best analogy I can give, I think it was uh, Jimmy Johnson who coached the Cowboys and he said, you know, I don't know leadership, but I know when I see it, right? Because yeah. people on the football field all lead in different directions. So it's not like I have to be a certain way or you have to be this as a business yeah. owner, but I'd imagine there's something that, you know, there is a trait or characteristic that leaders have that really make people, um, yeah. you know, work hard for them. Something, you know, I've, I've never, I haven't really put this into words, but it'd be something where, again, I could feel it. Like they respect people and they use money instead of using people and loving money. You know, like I, I don't like dealing with a-holes. <laughs> Sorry. If I wasn't supposed to swear. I like how you whispered that. I whispered it. Does that uh, still count? Yes. You abbreviated <laughs> it too, so you're yeah, fine. I, I know, I know. Well, on my show, people, we don't swear on my podcasts uh, for all the obvious reasons, but um, I don't like dealing with those people anymore. Like, if I don't like you, we're not going to do business together. If I don't at least moderately like you, no. And it's, you know, it's my filter, but I don't like dealing with people who are uh, deceitful or, uh, like to place blame or make excuses. Um, litigious, as you said, yeah, I'm just going to back away. You know why? There's so much business out there. I can align myself with the best people. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of value to that. So I, I, I want to be gracious of your time, Dominic, as you've been gracious for your time for our audience here. So, um, as we close this out, what do you do for fun? Uh, I love fishing and hunting. I just went hunting last weekend. Get anything? I, my son got his deer and awesome. uh, that was pretty good because he went on a youth hunt. So I do. I love that. I love the outdoors. And then, you know what? I just, I love being a dad. <laughs> I just love it. So taking care of my kids, you know, being, hanging out with family. Yeah. Pretty simple, I guess. Yeah. Good man. For those listening, where, uh, where can they find you? Uh, well, I've got the two podcasts. It's a great place to listen. So one of them is called Profit Tool Belt, and the other one is long. You, so you were a guest on Profit Tool Belt. So if people want more Brad, go there, right? <laughs> but um, uh, And then the other show is called Cabinet Maker Profit System, and it's for cabinet makers, architecture mill workers. And a lot of those guys do home renovations as well. So, uh, But both of those shows are about the business of the construction and contracting business. Uh, and then if you can't find me online, you're not looking because, you know, I've got a marketing team that has Dominic Rubino, Dominic Rubino. Mm -hmm. So contact me in any of those ways or even on LinkedIn. Happy to talk. Well, Dominic, you've been amazing. Can't thank you enough. Appreciate the time again to converse with you for the past hour. Yeah. Yeah. Great to be with you again. Thank you. If you give value from the show, please support us by giving a five-star rating and review on whatever platform you listen to. And I also have a favor to ask. We've had some incredible guests that come on and share their wisdom, their knowledge about their business. So if you have friends or family members that could benefit from those episodes, please share it with them, as well as any other business owners that you're networking with that could get value from the podcast 
for certain episodes, please share those as well. Again, subscribe. Make sure you're following any questions that you have, topics. We've had uh, listeners reach out about certain guests that we should have on the show. Again, brad.l at aftconstruction.com. Email me for topics to address, guests that we should have on, and even if you think you'd be a great guest for the show. So again, thank you for all your support, and we'll see you next time.